0: Falls. It's 8 o'clock.
1: Good morning. This is Northern Light for Thursday, December 7th. I'm Monica Sandresky.
0: And I'm Todd Moe.
1: Governor Kathy Hochul confirmed that she's summoned the likely Democratic nominee to
2: run to replace ousted Congressman George Santos. Our responsibility is to take back the House of Representatives from the Santos-type Republican Party and to make sure that Hakeem Jeffries is the speaker.
1: More on her meeting with Tom Swazi coming up.
0: We'll meet a group of literacy volunteers in Plattsburgh and talk with Adirondack writer and artist Erin Dorney about a new zine she's created to tell her story of being a renter in the region. Some of the frustrations she's inviting everyone to share theirs and learn more about the power of zines.
3: They're usually made at home, or using a copy machine and stapled as like a low cost, quick way to share information that you control. So there's no editor, there's no gatekeeping.
1: Plus music with the group, the Fitzgeralds performing at Pickens Hall in Hubleton. All of that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us.
0: Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Gray and Gray & Associates, CPAs, an accounting and financial services firm in northern New York with offices in Canton, Potsdam, and Spring Hill, Florida. GrayCPAs.com. At AdirondackExplorer.com and AdirondackAlmanac.com, presenting daily updated news on public policy, environmental issues, and local communities in the Adirondack Park.
1: This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandresky.
0: And I'm Todd Moe. Tom Swasey is the likely Democratic nominee to replace George Santos, who was ousted from Congress last week. Governor Hochul confirmed yesterday that she summoned Swasey to Albany to meet with her before the party agrees to nominate him to run in February's special election. Karen DeWitt reports.
4: Swazi, who for six years held the congressional seat recently occupied by Santos, decided in 2022 to challenge Hochul in the Democratic primary for governor. Swazi, in his campaign, referred to Hochul as an interim governor. Hochul replaced Andrew Cuomo, who resigned in disgrace in 2021. He also disparaged the governor and her husband, a former U.S. attorney who was counsel to the Delaware North Corporation as fostering a culture of corruption. He also ran an ad saying Hochul was soft on crime, a tactic also used by Hochul's Republican opponent in a close general election that year. A report in the New York Times says Hochul made numerous demands on Swazi in the meeting, including that he strongly back abortion rights and that he would not run a campaign that undermines the state's Democratic Party. The governor, speaking to reporters on Wednesday, confirmed that she called the meeting, but says it was to determine whether Swazi would indeed be the best candidate to take back the seat and help Democrats eventually regain control of the House.
2: Our responsibility is to take back the House of Representatives from the from the Santos-type Republican Party and to make sure that Hakeem Jeffries is the speaker. And I wanted to see polling. I want to talk about a strategy. I want to know uh, what his chance of success would be because we had to put forth the strongest candidate in that district to start bringing back uh, New York State Bringing back more people who are elected who are Democrats. We need that desperately. And we'll be partners with President
4: Biden. Hochul did acknowledge that Swazi apologized to her for saying that her family was corrupt.
2: That was an important conversation. Uh, to clear the air in one respect. So it was in his interest to make sure the conversation went well.
4: Swazi, who has ties to House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and is an ally of State Democratic Party Chair Jay Jacobs, is expected to be nominated later this week to run in the February 13th special election. And as other races for 2024 heat up, Westchester County Executive George Latimer announced his primary representative Jamal Bowman over Bowman's criticism of Israel's conduct in the ongoing conflict with Hamas. Hochul says she won't be taking sides in that fight. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
1: Two Fort Drum colonels finally got their promotions this week after a Republican senator ended his months-long blockade on hundreds of military nominations. The Senate confirmed Colonels Matthew Brahman and Kendall Clark as Brigadier Generals Tuesday. Both are deputy commanders for the 10th Mountain Division. Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama held up the nominations for several months. He was protesting a Pentagon policy that allows service members to get financial support for travel related to abortion care. The policy did not change. NPR reports that the senator caved to pressure from his own party and a possible rules change that would have overridden his hold. Tuberville has yet to release 11 nominees up for promotions to four-star general.
0: The Harrietstown Town Council opted out of a settlement related to so-called Forever Chemicals at its airport last week. According to the Adirondack Daily Enterprise, the DuPont Chemical Company wants to settle claims that toxic chemicals and its products have contaminated drinking water across the country. Sites include the Adirondack Regional Airport in Lake Clear, which is owned by Harrietstown. PFAS got into the groundwater at the airport due to firefighting foam used on the airstrip. The town is required by the state to clean up the PFAS. The Enterprise reports that it's already spending $3 million to investigate and monitor the extent of contamination. The town would have been been entitled to just $1,250 under the settlement.
1: Residents and businesses in Clinton County impacted by heavy rains and flooding in July are now eligible for federal loans. Kara Chapman has more.
5: Historic storms in early July dumped several inches of rain on multiple towns in Clinton County, including Ellenburg, Danamora, Altona, and Saranac. Flash flooding closed roadways, washed out driveways, and damaged homes. Residents and businesses impacted by the flooding can now apply for loans from the U.S. Small Business Administration, or SBA. Governor Kathy Hochul's office says the low-interest loans come from a new program that offers additional financial assistance to people in rural areas affected by disasters. The loan maximums differ based on the type of borrower. For example, the SBA says homeowners may qualify for up to $500,000 to repair or replace real estate. Business owners could get up to $2 million to replace physical losses like machinery and equipment. There's also assistance available for renters and loans for businesses and nonprofits that cover financial losses caused by the floods. The SBA opened a disaster loan outreach center at the Ellenberg Town Hall yesterday. Its hours are 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday and 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Saturdays through Friday, December 22nd. We have more information on how to apply for the loans online by phone or by mail on our website, ncpr.org. Kara Chapman, North Country Public Radio.
0: St. Lawrence County gets its first state-licensed cannabis dispensary today. According to the Watertown Daily Times, the highest peak opens this afternoon on Market Street in Potsdam. The launch was delayed for several months due to lawsuits that blocked new dispensaries from opening in New York State. A judge approved a settlement that lifted the injunction last week. The highest peak officially opens at 1 o'clock this afternoon. And the owners told the Daily Times they expect a rush of customers.
1: And a bridge on a major U.S. highway in Clinton County is back open after months of major construction. The Carpenters Flats Bridge carries U.S. Route 9 over the Osable River in Peru. Route 9 runs from the town of Champlain all the way to Delaware. A $6.2 million project raised the decades-old bridge by three and a half feet. The goals were to reduce flooding, lessen the impact of ice jams, and enhance safety. The Carpenters Flats Bridge is on the National Register of Historic Places. It was previously rehabilitated almost 30 years ago.
0: You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's nine minutes past eight. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe.
1: And I'm Monica Sandresky. Coming up, zines and an Adirondack renter's frustrations. Have that conversation in just a few minutes right here on Northern Light.
0: Music by Dan Duggan out of Lake Clear. Just a reminder that you can catch Dan Duggan and Peggy Lynn this Saturday night, December 9th, 7 o'clock, a holiday concert at the Unitarian Universalist Church in Canton. Northern Light is supported by Cronin's Golf Resort, a regional destination for golf, dining, and lodging in the southern Adirondacks. Details at Cronin'sGolfResort.com.
1: Language is the key to communication. For people without the ability to speak, read, or write, a lot of doors are closed. Opening those doors is the goal of literacy groups like Literacy Volunteers of Clinton, Franklin, and Essex Counties. It's based in Plattsburgh and teaches reading and language skills to adult learners. As Amy Feieraisal reports, many of the organization's learners are recent immigrants to the United States.
6: On a dark and wet Tuesday night in November, about a dozen people file into a basement classroom in Hawkins Hall on the SUNY Plattsburgh campus.
5: We're going to start with our vocabulary words today,
3: and we're doing one of the lessons that is a little bit harder.
6: That's well, Helen Mitchell. She's teaching an intermediate English class here tonight for English as a Second Language Learners. All the vocabulary has to do with tonight's topic, burnout. Burnout.
3: The next word is prioritize.
7: When something is more important.
3: Yes, exactly. Mitchell yeah, has been
6: teaching for literacy volunteers for the last six months. Her students are from all over Mexico, Haiti, China, West
2: Africa. Okay, um, you know, my name is Judith Blanco. I'm from Venezuela. Blanco
6: is 58. She arrived in Plattsburgh two years ago. She's been taking classes through literacy volunteers ever since. She says she spoke almost no English when she arrived.
2: A little. A little. But now uh, I improve my English. So I no, it's very well, but I understand more people when they're talking with me.
6: Blanco was a lawyer in Venezuela. She came to the U.S. through political asylum and works as a housekeeper at a hotel in Plattsburgh. She says English is her path to higher paying work and a better life. This is why most people are here, including 54-year-old Carlos Guevara. He grew up in Mexico, where he was a mechanical engineer. He moved to Plattsburgh just weeks ago because he got a job at local manufacturer Moldrite.
8: My friends told me they they took English class here, so I want to more about the American culture, and I of course I I want to get another job of course.
6: He'd like to become a manager at Moldrite. Guevara and Blanco are just two of around 150 learners that Literacy Volunteers serves across three counties, Clinton, Franklin, and Essex. They tutor adults who want to improve their literacy, like folks looking to pass their GED test or recent immigrants to the region. 74-year-old Jocelyn Erkenbeck is program manager at Literacy Volunteers. She says in addition to teaching language skills, for many of their ESL learners, they're a safe place in a literally foreign country.
3: We end up being uh, mom, auntie, grandma.
6: Erkenbeck is Canadian and says that her own immigrant status helps her connect with their many ESL learners.
3: They're frightened when they come to us. A lot of them are professionals in their native country. And so we, our goal is to teach them English so that eventually they can take up the mantle.
6: This organization has grown enormously over the last few years. In 2020, two groups merged to become literacy volunteers for Clinton, Franklin, and Essex counties. They recruited more tutors and built stronger relationships with other support organizations like the Office of New Americans, CV Tech, St. Joe's Outreach Center. They often work as de facto caseworkers. They help people apply for their driver's
1: license, find lawyers. Because many times some of the learners come to us when they are
4: at their lowest
6: that's Karen Despidaboos, Literacy Volunteers' executive director. She says literacy isn't just about books. It's about unlocking potential.
1: Families become economic drivers and to be fulfilled and, and, and improve their well-being and, and their situation. She says their
6: number of learners has grown a lot in the last few years, from 15 in 2019 to 150 in 2023. There's so many in need right now that we actually have a waiting list for some of our ESL learners. Sometimes their work comes full circle. While I was in the office, 36-year-old Julio Rodriguez walked through the door. He came in to volunteer as a peer tutor. He used to be a student. Rodriguez is from Cuba, came to the U.S. in 2015, and ended up here because he had family in Chazy.
7: I kind of fell in love with the area because we have another state just across the lake. We have another country, like 45 minutes away, so.
6: He took classes through literacy volunteers for about a year and a half.
7: When I got here, I was with zero English at all.
6: Rodriguez says the classes gave him a solid base.
7: And then I, you know, I get into the real world and start, you know, learning out of of literacy volunteers' uh, walls and start working.
6: His first job was as a packer at the Pactiv factory. Then he became a machine operator, and then he was promoted to supervisor.
7: I mean, I start from the bottom and work all all the way up, and then I move on to a government job.
6: Rodriguez now works as a TSA agent at the Plattsburgh Airport. He lives in Peru. He's made a life for himself here. This is what literacy volunteers wants for all of their learners— Rodriguez says he still has a ways to go.
7: As you can see, my English is still a little bit rough, but (laughs) he he, he helped me a lot.
6: And now he wants to help others. Literacy Volunteers is actively looking for tutors in Clinton, Franklin, and Essex counties. Amy Feieraisal, North Country Public Radio in Plattsburgh. (laughs)
0: listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe.
1: And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, an Adirondack artist has created a zine to draw attention to challenges facing renters. That conversation in just a minute. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note. Coming up at 842, first Todd has a look at the weather for us.
0: Cloudy, gray skies uh, right through the weekend at this point with maybe a chance of rain on Sunday. Milder temperatures, highs today in the low 30s. Tonight, lows in the 20s with mostly cloudy skies, maybe an occasional light snow shower today. South-southwest winds around 5 miles per hour. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, highs near 40. Saturday, mostly cloudy, highs near 50. Sunday, about a 90% chance of rain with highs in the upper 40s, low 50s. And the Weather Service predicts a wintry mix for Monday with highs in the mid-30s. We've got clouds and 15 degrees right now in Canton.
1: What's it like to move to a small town in the Adirondacks and find a place to live? What are some of the challenges for year-round renters? The NCPR Newsroom has explored some of those questions in a housing series, which you can find at our website ncpr.org. And those are also some of the questions up for discussion on Monday, December eighteenth, at seven o'clock, the Cernac Free Library. Writer and artist Erin Dorney has created a new zine as a way to express and share her experiences as a renter.
0: She's inviting everyone to share their renting stories in the region and learn more about the power of zines. Aaron Dorney told me that zines, popular a generation or two ago before the Internet, are seeing a resurgence as a way to discuss various topics ranging from poetry to social justice.
3: They are small handmade books. It's short for magazines. Uh-huh. They're usually made at home Or, you know, using a copy machine and stapled as like a low cost, quick way to share information that you control. So there's no editor. There's no gatekeeping. You can kind of write whatever you want. You can be anonymous if you want. Social media is being used to share zines a lot these days. There's things called zine fests where people gather and trade zines or sell zines. So it's definitely like a whole kind of underground community that exists.
0: Have you already produced uh, a zine called House Zine? Is there actually physically a House Zine out there?
3: There, Well, I'm looking at a pile of uh, House Zine right now Uh (laughs) (laughs) on my desk. So this is the House Zine that I'm working on. It is, I am making it right now, and there will be um, 18 copies, so it's a limited edition. And I've made other zines, you know, I've probably made like probably 15 zines total, but... House Zine's a little bit different because it's more of a combination of a zine and an artist book. So, an artist book is kind of like a work of art, but it's in book form. So, this is like a very special zine because only 18 of them are going to exist and they're a little more, um, I guess, like fancy. Uh, so, I have like a hand printed cover that I made. I was taking a printmaking class at Blue Seed Studios with the artist Jess Ackerson. And learned about printmaking, so the covers are hand printed, and it's going to be sewn instead of stapled. So there's going to be a couple, like kind of more artistic touches on the house scene.
0: And on December eighteenth, you you got an event uh, coming up at the Cantwell Room at the at the Saranac Lake Free Library, seven o'clock in the evening. It's free. You're inviting everyone. What are you asking folks to do that evening? Are you are asking folks to bring with them stories of living and and renting uh in the Adirondacks?
3: I would love that. Um so the event is a celebration of the existence of this art object. So we'll have copies there and people can look at them and read the zine. Um I'll also have interactive kind of prompts and stations throughout the room where people can weigh in uh with their experiences with renting in the Adirondacks. So there'll be a little bit of participation. If you want to, it's not required. Mm-hmm. It is open to everyone, but I'd really love to see uh, long term renters there who live here year round in the region. I think it can be kind of a space where we can support each other's experiences with renting here, kind of in this new reality with housing.
0: What's it been like to, to be a renter?
3: I haven't lived in the Adirondacks for very long. Um, I moved here in the fall of 2021 so kind of midway during the pandemic. But I have been a renter for 17 years. I've, you know, had 12 different addresses in three different states in the past 17 years. And I was kind of reflecting on my experience renting in other places compared to my experience renting in the Adirondacks. You know, we were moving here for my partner's job at a nonprofit in the fall of 2021. And we almost couldn't move here because we couldn't find a place to live. We came up here a couple of weeks before our move date and we saw two apartments. One was so bad that I cried in the car uh, mm. because I just couldn't believe that I might have to live in this apartment. So finally, at the last minute something came through and um, the way it came through was a, someone who knew someone who knew us. So it was like a friend of a friend situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that has been one of my biggest observations about housing in this area for renters is that it's all based on who, you know, and that can be really problematic. You know, one thing I really want to say about housing in the Adirondacks is that if you haven't talked one-on-one to a renter, a year round renter, you certainly don't have the full picture of housing in the North country because there are things that renters can't speak openly about because their housing, is so precarious
0: Mm. because they risk losing what they they have
3: yes because it's such a small community that you know if you if you say something wrong you know something that's not socially acceptable in some way politically artistically whatever just if someone doesn't like the way you look i mean they could just not reveal their housing availability to you because of the way that housing works um there's no place where rentals are listed. Uh, you kind of have to ask, and then maybe people can reply to your ask and tell you if they have something available. You have to be trusted, and I'm not. I don't think that that's a very sustainable system. Right.
0: And it's also important to point out that your event on the 18th is, as you say, it's. Um, it's a safe space for renters. You,
3: yes. You- I would like to talk more about these things with, with more renters because I feel like that's a conversation I haven't seen really take place. Um, there's been so many ideas about housing and so many great organizations that are working on housing. Uh, and we need all of those ideas and we need more. So this is just another piece of, of that.
0: Aaron, take a moment to, uh, I have an image of your zine, the cover of your zine and the print that you made. And it's a, it's a house, smoke coming out of the chimney and it's also in flames. Um, what's the message there with that image?
3: I think the, the image on the zine, that's the cover of the zine. Mm-hmm. So that image of the house on fire really sums up how I have felt about housing since moving here. I feel like it's always about to go up in flames, you know, metaphorically. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, literally, you know, there are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of old housing stock in this area that is sadly catching fire. But this kind of, to me, represents the stress that I have felt constantly since moving here.
0: Again, you've got the zine. um, So there's art involved here and uh, part of this programming, it comes from the Council of the Arts and uh, the um, Adirondack Lake Center for the Arts?
3: Yes. Yeah, so this project, um, the Zine Project, has been made possible with funds from the Statewide Community Regrants Program. and That's a regrant program of the New York State Council of the Arts with the support of the Office of the Governor and the New York State Legislature and administrated by the Adirondacks lake center for the arts so thank you for the grant that made this scene possible it is uh, it has been very um kind of cathartic to reflect on this very stressful topic through art so i hope that people will stop by and check out kind of you know what i've been working on and, and weigh in with their own experiences
0: Adirondack writer and artist Erin Dorney has created a new zine as a way to express and share her experiences as a renter. And you're invited to check it out and share your own story on Monday, December 18th, 7 p.m. in the Cantwell Room at the Saranac Lake Free Library. It is free and open to everyone. This is music by the Fitzgeralds. They'll be at Pickens Hall in Huvelton Tuesday, December 12th at 7 p.m.
8: Of all.
0: Parting Glass, performed there by the Fitzgeralds. They'll be live in concert at Pickens Hall in Huvelton. That's next Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. And there's more information on our website, ncpr.org slash calendar.
1: That is it for the show for the day. Morning edition continues in just a minute. And after that, it's the Marketplace Morning Report coming up between 8.51 and 9 o'clock, where we'll get caught up. On all the morning's business news, I'm Monica Sandresky.
0: I'm Todd Moe. Thanks so much for listening. Be well.